Hold up. Uh, give me one second, you boxing family yo salute to start a short 809 thank you for coming through uh man i haven't done like a live in quite a while so i figured i'd give you know all the you know boxing fans or sports fans you know like a good little you know late night treat but um you know um allow me to you know reintroduce myself this is krat seven four seven four three five we are in the building right now uh, I'm going to recap on Canelo versus uh, Gennady Golovkin trilogy. Um, this fight wasn't really the, like wasn't really about the fight that I really expected, but either way, um, I just think based off of how this fight went down, um, it um, it would have been way better if this fight was, you know, made five years ago, you know, in the making. Um, I think this fight was over marinated too long. And, uh, you know, this is what happens when you have fighters that are not really in their true primes that just basically age it out coming into like a trilogy fight like this. And uh, I wasn't really too fond on the progression of how the fighters really came into the fight. Um, it, it made me feel like that there wasn't really any effort to have any 
uh, potential victors, you know, in this fight. Like, you know, obviously Canelo Alvarez, you know, he defeated um, Triple G. And that was, you know, a, a good fight of its own. Uh, but it was, like, not really to be like the fight where, you know, Triple G was supposed to actually win. But surprisingly, uh, the judges had it, you know, very corrupted in their scorecards, in which I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, yeah, let's talk about the fights that were on the undercard. I got some things to really say about some of these fights. Um, I think the biggest takeaway from these fights is that some of these fights really had a lot of weird uh, just back and forth in a commotion that didn't make any sense. But I'll just talk about like like I'll talk about like the very first fight that was on the card with um, Anthony um, uh, Herrera versus Delvin uh, McKinley. Um he had a technical decision, uh, doctor stoppage, you know, uh, um, like a like a like um, decision victory through, you know, technical decision, doctor stoppage, you know, uh, type of you know uh, victory for his fight. Um, basically, how this fight went down, uh, the fight was very overtly like aggressive, and um, I think like the biggest takeaway from it was that um, he was. Definitely making like the effort to win, uh, Delvin. But I think what Delvin was just that he wasn't really like, the type of fighter where he wasn't really coming to lay down, but but he was trying to like make it a, a sole effort to try to win uh, the game. And um, I think I think what like, the problem with you know what the fight itself was just that. Um, Anthony Herrera, um, he's a bit of a dirty fighter, in my honest opinion. Um, it may not look like it now. And, I mean, people always want to throw this prospect bullshit just to say that, oh, well, like, you know, he's a prospect, man. You know, he's just, you know, learning on the job. But, you know, people don't get passes to guys that come into, like, a world title fight with little to no experience. And then they'll say, oh, well, that fighter is growing into their – you know, contender, you know, status, blah, blah, blah. No, like, you know, you, like um, you should always be professional coming into any boxing fight. But to be dirty coming into your early, you know, rookie fights just to, you know, like, you know, cause like a fight to be, you know, very weird to the point where you're not really coming in to actually win. You're actually coming in to just, you know, do damage to people. And I mean – the biggest takeaway from it is just that Anthony um, Anthony Herrera is just that type of fighter where he he he's not as good as people try to portray him to be. Um, people try to say like you know he's gonna be like this next big thing and whatnot, but I don't I don't I don't really see it. I I really see him to kind of like go downhill, very similar to like a almost like a Fernando Vargas you know type of fighter. People, people will say he's good with all that, you know, amateur experience. But see, look, the problem with a lot of you fighters that stay in the amateurs for too long is that a lot of them really try to put themselves in this position of thinking that they're good. But at the end of the day, they're really not because they haven't gotten all the tools in their tool bag to actually be a seasoned, you know, professional fighter. That's why that I don't like seeing amateurs – coming to the pros by like 23 or 25 
Um, I mean, like, like to certain fighters, if you're good enough to develop into a professional style and you're going to be extremely active coming into the sport, you know, with like little to no breaks, you know, in between, then I would say that's a good, you know, uh, um, uh, that's a good developmental career. But the problem is, is just that you don't know what injuries or what, you know, potential risks that you could do to your body coming into a boxing fight. And I just think based off of like the amount of stress that you put into your body right now to become a boxer, that's pretty much the biggest problem because having to go through a lot of sacrifice as a fighter and then having to lose all that weight, you know, coming into a fight with the amount of pressure mentally and physically of you making the weight, that's another big problem. So I don't know. I think I think basically based off of like what we're seeing right now with a lot of these fighters that are trying to make all these like smaller, littler, like like you know, all these tiny little weight classes, which I'm not really like a fan of, because Anthony um he fights at uh if I'm not mistaken, he fights at um 115, but I was really never like a fan of him being at that weight. I think he scales a lot better at a much higher weight class. Uh, the biggest problem that I have with him is just that um, he has a very like stationary type of fighting style. Uh, he's not really like, the greatest fighter out there, but I will say like he has good power with his punches at 115. I mean, 115 is being looked upon as like almost like a mini, you know, bantamweight division. But the problem is, is just that you don't really have that much competition in the pool to actually be, you know, um, successful. So, you know, like, like the biggest problem that I have is just that um, a lot of these, you know, fighters, you know, they really end up fighting at, you know, unnaturalized uh, um, weight classes. Um, that don't really help them scale um, a lot. And um, I think the biggest takeaway from it is just that when you look at how they fight, they, you know, they fight very, very limited coming into their size. And I think the biggest takeaway from them is just that they're not as good when they scale into those, like, you know, bigger level, you know, weighted, like, opponents that fight at bigger weights. But... Either way, uh, I thought Anthony Herrera, he didn't really do that good. Um, you know, he had like a really mediocre performance. And uh, um, it's going to be very interesting to see what he's going to do at the super flyweight division. Um, I don't I don't really see anything spectacular from him. Um, I might be wrong like about that, but uh, we will soon find out coming into the future. So I don't know. But, yeah, let's talk about the next fight. We got my boy Aaron Aponte, who unfortunately had a draw with Fernando Molina, which I thought Aaron Aponte had won this fight. This is an eight-round, 140-pound, you know, division fight. Um, it's a very, very good, you know, heavy-leveled fight. Um, I thought this was perfect, you know, opposition for Aaron. Um, I thought, you know, Fernando, you know, um, he's a good fighter, but – He's a very stationary, limited, you know, Mexican-style type of fighter. Um, he had a very, very good fight against his last opponent, which I forgot what his name was. But 
Uh, actually, no. Let me just take a look at it. Um, yeah, he fought uh, Ricardo Valvadinos. Um, if you go watch that fight, um, I know um, I know that it's on YouTube, but uh, that was a very very good fight. Um, I actually thought Valvadinos could have won that fight, but um, that was a very you know competitive fight in which uh, Fernando he got dropped in that fight you know as well you know heading into this one so i don't i don't think fernando's chin is that good um i think like once you start outboxing him and, and you start hitting him you know with like the most highly repetitive shots then i think that's really where everything will come into fruition and i don't know i think i think based off of what we're seeing now out of his progression coming into 140. I mean, he is good. Don't get it twisted. It's just that, you know, like, like, uh, like for Fernando's style, his style is very, very stationary. So I don't like that type of style. I like to see better progression with what he does with his defense. And I mean, he has some boxing skills. He knows how to move around and, and actually make himself a little bit you know, unhittable, but I think he needs to start scaling more into that. And I think there will be a lot higher progression in his skill set to actually be that type of fighter that a lot of people want to see. So I'm not too sure. I think, um, you know, what we'll see out of him is just like a whole different, you know, improved mindset coming into the future. Um, as for Aaron's case, um, I didn't really think Aaron performed that well. I think he was being very, very careless. Um, he was not utilizing his jab enough against uh, uh, Molina, which uh, he was doing that in like, the sixth and uh, second round, and I believe the fifth round, but he just like basically like abandoned it because he thought that, you know, he could stop, you know, Molina, in which I thought, he, he, like, you know, he had the ability to stop him. Um, the biggest problem was just that with like uh, with uh, Fernando, um, he had a really really high like you know high um, work rate, in which uh, that like you know that's what made like, the fight very um, uh, competitive, and I think that's pretty much like the problem of what I wanted to see more out of him, and I think that was you know what the biggest takeaway from you know that fight. Um, I think with Fernando style. I think a more improved Aaron Aponte in a rematch would definitely beat him. But if Fernando, if he was able to work on his weaknesses coming in to like a rematch, I think Fernando has the ability to stop Aaron. But I don't, I don't think Aaron is really that vulnerable to get stopped. He did get dropped um, in this fight for the first time out of his, uh, out of his entire career. So I think that was good to face a little bit of adversity coming into a fight like that because Aaron actually wanted to fight, you know, Fernando Molina. And, you know, but the thing was is just that with uh, Fernando, um, he wasn't really coming into this fight, you know, trying to lay down. <laughs> so this was great matchmaking from uh, DAZN and Matchroom's part to actually make this, you know, to actually make this fight extremely competitive so now it makes me think that fernando and aaron they're probably going to see each other you know at a world title level hopefully um i just think based off of how dizona's treating their fighters 
Like, yes, they're being good with uh, matching their fighters up with good heavy level, like heavy leveled, active competition. So basically, there's some fights where you may think that this opponent is blown through that other fighter for you know for the event of thinking that that fighter is just getting easy fights. But I think I think the zone and matchroom, they have pretty decent matchmaking, where it's not like the greatest matching, like you know match uh, making. Obviously, because you know, DAZN and Matchroom, they try to make up all you know, um, all of uh, the weird um, excuses uh, to not make fights um, with uh, cross um, promotional platforms. In which I don't think it's really that hard, you know, for them to do. You know, they just need to start paying, you know, with the fighters, you know, proper money. And I think that's really where everything will start to scale a lot harder coming into. You know the zones you know uh, um repertoire as a uh, company um but i'm not too sure i just i just think based off of like where things are with uh the zone um they really need to start stepping it up when it comes to promoting good fights but with this fight this was a very very good fight it, it like you know um it was a 50 50 fight and I think, uh, you know, with more active competition, with guys that are coming off of good wins rather than bad losses, um, I think that's what makes a very, very good heavy level, you know, competitive fight. I mean, that's just me personally. But I think what's going to end up happening is that zone they're probably going to end up, you know, end up creating good heavy level opposition fights where, you know, it's almost similar to PBC but they're going to start acting more aggressively with their matchmaking to make sure that, you know, these fighters do get paid good money, but they're going to have to face some pretty heavy loaded opposition in which I do believe that's what's going to end up happening. But I think the biggest problem is just that with the zone, um, Eddie Hearn, he obviously tries to make, you know, more in-house fights with his own fighters versus, just given the fans what we want to see with good 50-50 level matchups with tough, you know, opposition that's willing to actually, you know, go out there and actually try to win a, a like, you know, a, a fight. So I'm not too sure what the plan will be, but I think this is like a good step in the right direction to give us fans what we want. And I think that's really where everything will try to hyperscale. But yeah, this is a good fight. Um, I had a, like a lot of fun, you know, while I'm watching this fight. Um, I think uh, based off of what we're seeing, um, I think you know everything that you see now with uh, you know these guys, you know, careers. I think I think um, Fernando and Aaron Aponte will very well take over 140, you know, coming into the future. But their futures are very bright. You know, this is a very good fight. Um, I didn't think that this is a draw. I thought Aaron won this fight just simply because he had let like, the better later, like, you know, like uh, um, he had let like, the better late game coming into that fight. But with Fernando Molina, uh, Molina, he had like a better work rate early game and mid game. So, I mean, if you want to say it was like a draw, I'm not really, you know, like against it. But the biggest problem was just that there wasn't enough work coming from you know, Fernando, where he was getting hit a lot. And Aaron, he wasn't utilizing his jab enough, but he did enough to 
score, you know, enough rounds, you know, late game coming into the fight. All right, let's talk about the next fight with Mark Castro versus Kevin Montiel. Um, Kevin Montiel, uh, for those of you that don't know, this is of the guy that had fought Otha Jones, you know, the third. Uh, I believe he is the brother of uh, O'Shea Jones, who's a female welterweight, you know, up-and-coming rookie fighter uh, for female boxing. But, yeah, this guy, he fought um, Otha to a draw. Um, it wasn't really too much, per se. Um, I thought, based off of what I've seen from this fight, um, it could have been a whole different ball game. I think based off of what we had to see from this fight was just that, you know, a lot of, you know, great progression from Mark Castro. I wasn't thinking Castro was going to come into this fight, you know, being stupid because obviously in his uh, last fight, um, if I'm not mistaken, he had a good outing, but there were some holes that were, you know, exposed um, out of him. And I think that was like, you know, the biggest takeaway from it. Because with Mark, he's, like, very similar to Ryan Garcia. He's, you know, he's really all, like, about, you know, about the social media glitz and glamour, which is good for promoting your name. But once you get inside that ring and prove it, that's not going to translate into dollars because you're going to have to prove it in the ring and actually show how good of a fighter you really are. So... The problem that I had with Mark's performance is just that he really went up against a guy that wasn't that much of a lightweight to begin with. I think him and Otha Jones, when they fought, that was at like a lower weight. I believe that was at Bantamweight or something like that. But I forgot what weight class. But basically, with Montiel, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really that good of a, you know, fighter coming into the, you know, the fight. But on top of that, he, you know, he's not a, a natural lightweight. He obviously was outscaled by the size and power differential by Mark Castro. Uh, Castro did his thing, but the biggest takeaway from this fight was just that this fight was obviously set up for Castro to win, but it really wasn't supposed to be this type of fight where Castro was supposed to like really be exposed because like the opponent that uh, that did expose him. You know, he actually got dropped, so uh, that definitely shows that Mark's chin is very, um, 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 it's very suspect. There, you know, there's like a lot of, you know, speculation of like what you could say is very highly, like, you know, highly questionable of his, uh, uh, you know, of his um, um, career. But I just don't know what I would want to expect out of him coming into the future, if that makes sense. Um, I think the zone is doing a good job moving him correctly. Cause I think like, at, like, you know, as of now, you know, Mark would get killed by any of what the top one, like, you know, top 100 lightweights as we speak. But the biggest takeaway from it is that Mark, he's just, you know, he doesn't seem to be getting better. I don't know. I mean, that's just me though. But I think, um, Everything that we're seeing now out of Mark's uh, career, um, I think um, Mark, you know, he has skills. He just needs to keep, you know, developing. And I think that's, you know, the biggest, you know, takeaway from it. Um, I think Mark, he has great development as a fighter. Uh, the biggest issue that I'm having now with him coming into the pros is just that 
he doesn't really move his head officially when he gets hit with heavy shots. And I think with Mark, he is very stationary, very similar to Fernando Montiel that did the same thing, but he's not really going up against any boxer punchers that are just as good as him to move, if not better than him. So I think the level of opposition that we've been seeing so far, um, his last fight with Pedro Vicente, that was a good fight in which uh, Vicente, he's not that good of a fighter. He's like a washed up 30 something year old fighter, uh, 33 actually. But I mean, it was a good showcase fight for Mark. Um, I like to see more action from him, you know, coming from, you know, heavy loaded opposition. So I think, I think sooner than later, Eddie Hearn, he's going to have to come to the table to bring Mark to that level. Cause I think Mark can do it. I think Mark can, can definitely have those fights with some heavy loaded, you know, you know, um, you know, opposition fights, especially at the lightweight division. Uh, I just think where he's at right now, um, I think that's really like the biggest issue that I'm having. And I think that's, you know, about the problem that I'm really trying to figure out right now. Um, I think, I think Mark, he has skills. It's just, it's just that, you know, but we have to see more from it. Um, so I think, I think what's going to end up happening is just that there's going to be a lot of great matchups for him, but you know, um, like, like obviously like, like, um, we just have to see more, you know, progression from where he's going to end up going to the future. So yeah, let's talk about the fourth fight that was on the prelims leading into the main car. We had Diego Pacheco against, uh, you know, Enrique Collazo. Um, I thought this was a good fight. Um, I thought Diego did a great job coming in calm and collected. Um, I think I think he's going to become like a major player coming into super middleweight. Um, he knocked out Enrique. Enrique was not really coming into this fight, you know, fully prepared. And I thought, you know, he could have done way better in this fight. Um, it just so happened to seem like that he had a little bit of hiccups, you know, defensively that costed him to get to get stopped. Um, Diego stopped him in the uh, f- uh, fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was a very, very good fight, man. I had, like, a lot of fun watching this fight. And uh, I thought, you know, this fight definitely, you know, showed a lot of great skills out of uh, Pacheco's, you know, skill set. Um I think with uh, Coyazo, um, he just needs to, you know, go back to his bearings and actually learn how to be more uh, productive, you know, with his jab. Um, I think, you know, the biggest issue that I have with Coyazo is just that, you know, he's just not this type of fighter where, you know, he, I don't know. I think, I think Coyazo, um, he probably thought Diego's power wasn't really going to take him. Uh, take him to uh, take him to like a certain level of him not you know eating shots um, a certain way and uh, D- Diego you know he did um, he, um, he did what he had to do uh, to be um, 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 uh, ah, I'm sorry uh, brain fart um, he did what he had to do to be successful and it was a very very good you know productive effort from Diego's you know part to to do the best he could to 
to us to um, solidify the uh, victory. So, um, either way, great performance and shout out to Diego Pacheco, man. Uh, he definitely did, you know, like he definitely did what any fighter should do. You know, take you know take uh, take the opponent to deep waters, and then land you know but the right shots to get the victory. So, yeah, let's move forward uh, without the main portion of the card. <laughs> uh, we had, you know, my boy Austin Emma Williams going up against uh, who? Um, he went up against uh, Kieran Conway, right? Um, this was a good fight. Uh, I wasn't really expecting too much of this fight to be any different from any other tough fight, but I think this is a good step up builder for Austin that definitely made him think a lot more, you know, in his uh, decision making coming into a fight. The biggest problem that I had was just that Austin, he was very, very stationary. Very similar to the other fighters that I mentioned earlier that made this fight a lot harder than expected. Um, with Kieran Conway, uh, I never thought of him to be that good of a fighter, but I think the biggest issue is just that when you look at Kieran, like he knows how to move in the ring, but once you hit him and you actually hurt him, that's like the biggest takeaway from you know the entire fight. See now, Conway, he has great boxing, you know, ability, but the biggest issue that I have with him is just the ability to be defensively responsible. So that's pretty much like the biggest issue that I'm having with Conway's, you know, abilities as a fighter. Um, I think the biggest, you know, problem that that I ended up having to watch out of Austin's fight was just that he was very very irresponsible on defense he got hit a lot in this fight and i think uh that's like you know, that's gonna cost him coming into coming into future fights um i think what could have been better was just that he should have just moved around uh he should have definitely you know did a lot better you know like like you know with moving his uh head more um, I I think you know if he did a lot better, you know, like you know in this fight he would have definitely, you know, won by knockout. So, I think that fight is you know like a good learning curve for Austin's you know progression. Um, and I hope he, um, you know, rises to the um occasion. So either way, uh, good fight. And I think um, that was a pretty good fight as far as where, you know, he should go into the future. Um, I think I think he should end up, uh, you know, facing some higher level middleweights. Um, it, you know, I don't I don't think uh, there's really anybody there on the matchroom stable for him to like go for. I mean, I would like to see him and Jaime Munguia. I think him and Jaime would be a great fight. Like, obviously, like, I don't, I don't think Jaime is like a good opponent now for Austin. I think Austin Williams, um, hit, uh, he could definitely bring the ammo on Mr. Troy Isley, which I think that's a great, tremendous, you know, um, stylistic matchup. Or he should end up facing, 
Um, I want him on a Jason Quigley. I think I think it's time for him to go up against a Jason Quigley. Um, that might be a good fight. Uh, um, Almicar Vito. Uh, that's an amazing fight. Uh, he's a very very good ass fighter. Um, obviously from his most notable win against Emmanuel Alim. That was back in 2021, back in July. That was a very, very good fight. Uh, I don't know what's going on with um, Alim these days, but i like to see him back in the ring. He's a very, very good, tremendous fighter. I actually did think he did beat Almicar v- uh, uh, Emil Carvidal. I, um, I thought he won that fight. I didn't, I didn't think Vidal actually pulled enough effort to actually win but either way you know he's just you know he's just uh doing his um his um thing uh he he is currently on a well he's currently on you know a three back-to-back wins well i mean he like like he is undefeated he's 16 and oh with uh 12 knockouts but uh out of his last three fights they were all three back-to-back victories uh two two of those were unanimous decisions for 10 rounders and then you know he had like a second round knockout against some seven four and one dude i mean like you know obviously his um opposition is not really that good and it's time for him to probably come over here to the states to to you know to to definitely make like a name for himself in which i think that's what pbc is probably going to end up doing because like you know he is uh 26 years old so i think i think his I think his superstar power or his superstardom or, or his growing, you know, um, you know, as far as him, him being more notable in the division will start to happen when he fights guys that are in like the top 25 or top 15. But I think this is a perfect opponent for Austin Williams, because if you could defeat a guy like him, then I think this will scale a lot better on your resume. And I think that's what, like you know, um, I think that's what Matchroom should go ahead and do. Um, I um um I obviously wouldn't mind a fight between him and uh Thomas uh, Lamana. I think I think Thomas uh Thomas uh, Lamana would be a perfect style matchup for Austin Williams. And then um I also wouldn't mind like a fight between him and Felix Cash. I think I think he would beat his ass. Uh, I don't I don't think Felix Cash like like I don't think he's that good of a fighter. He obviously got exposed by Magomed, uh, Magomed like you know Madayev. Uh I actually thought he lost that fight. He got dropped in the second and tenth round, and he got you know deducted points for holding you know um, um, in the tenth round. So I don't think he's that good. So I think I think it's time to get him out the way. Uh, I also want to mind like an Anthony Fowler fight. I think Anthony Fowler is beyond garbage um i um i also want to mind a fight between um, hamza shiraz i think i think hamza shiraz is actually a very good hardened opponent for austin williams but either way uh there's a lot of opposition here that i'm looking at this you know list right now and i definitely like to see a lot of good fights out of austin because he could fight Magomed, you know, Ma- like uh, Magomed uh, uh, Mariev. He could fight. Uh, oh, wait a minute! Did Elvis Gomez move up? Oh no, probably, probably not. But 
uh, maybe sometime in the future he could fight Yoel Gomez. You know, he's a 154-pounder right now. But I think if he moves up to middleweight and fights, you know, Austin Williams, uh, that would be a really, really good-ass fight. I think him and Yoel Gomez would be fireworks because uh, he's a heavy-loaded puncher. He's a boxer puncher. So, yeah, man, uh, those are tremendous fights. Uh, Demetrius Ballard, that's a good flame, good flame fight. Uh, there's a lot of good opposition here in the middleweight division. Oh, Marcelo Coceres, uh, that's also like another good-ass fight for him too. But he just recently moved up in weight to 175. So if he's a 175-pounder, then, yeah, I don't I don't think that's probably going to, you know, end up happening. But, hey, who knows? I mean, I mean, Austin Williams, he has plenty of um, options, and i like to see more um, um, out of him, man. But – yeah, let's talk about the last three fights, and then I'll get up out of here. Uh, we had Ali Akhmedov against Mr. Gabe, you know, King, you know, King Gabe Rosado. Uh, very, very good fight. Uh, I saw, I thought Ali Akhmedov did his thing. He definitely improved a lot better from his uh, last, you know, performance uh, prior to the, you know, stoppage loss with Carlos, you know, Gungora. Um, he had, uh, you know two back-to-back, you know, KO victories, or, or just, uh, you know, how should I say, you know, they were more, you know, more than likely just low-level opposition victories that were stoppages, so uh, pretty good, you know, you know, return, <coughs> you know, in his uh, 2021 campaign. I didn't like the fact that he, he literally sat on the shelf for nine months from 2021 and December leading into now. So I think that was a very, like a very dumb decision out of him. And uh, I would like to see better progression of staying active more. Cause I think with the loss to Carlos Gangora, you know, he got stopped, you know, um, um, in the 12th round, but that loss to Gangora really shaked up a lot of things for his uh, career. And, uh, I honestly want to mind to see a rematch. I think I think it's time for him to take down Carlos, you know, Gungora. Gungora's only loss was to Lerone Richards, who doesn't have any knockout power at all. But his chin is definitely set, uh, you know, um, set in stone. Uh, but on top of that, I think I think he was able to just outbox Gungora to the point where Gungora, he wasn't able to land his his heaviest shot shot um, on him. So I think uh, that was very much the biggest, you know, issue out of the entire um, event of that fight. But, yeah, uh, I don't know where Ali goes from here. Probably some other big fights at the super middleweight division. I could easily see him and Diego Pacheco fight each other, but I don't I don't know where that's going to go. I think he's going to probably go the IBF route, try to get himself a title and then move forward with uh, getting more bigger money fights. But, yeah, let's talk about the co-main event and main event. Uh, we had Jesse Bam Bam Rodriguez that had a decision victory over Israel Gonzalez. Um, I wasn't too keen of this fight. I, I thought Jesse had lost this fight. Uh, he didn't look like his normal self coming into this fight. I want to say it was more of like an off night, but he is a good fighter. Don't get it twisted. Uh, the biggest uh, issue with him was just that he really didn't have 
like the proper focus coming into the fight. I think uh, with him getting, you know, limited training with uh, Robert Garcia, and I think the issue was just that he said he, you know, he didn't want to fight Israel Gonzalez in the first place. Made me think that he wasn't really doing enough in training camp to actually solidify the proper tools necessary to beat Israel Gonzalez. And I thought Gonzalez, he, he uh, like, he displayed a really good high-level boxing IQ that made the fight very, very, you know, competitive and very t- and very uh, difficult to score. So um, I don't know. Like I think I think Israel he did enough to win, but. I can see why the judges try to sway it to Jesse because Jesse was picking up other punches more in the later rounds. So that could be the reason why he wasn't able to do what he was supposed to do to secure the victory. But either way, it was a good call-man event. And, uh, I thought Jesse, you know, needed to improve a lot better from this performance. And, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see where his uh, uh, progression is uh, um, as a fighter. So that's pretty much it with with what I got with that. Uh, Let's talk about Canelo Alvarez versus Triple G. I don't have too much to say about this. Both guys fought like crap. And uh, I think it's time for them to just hang it up. Uh, Canelo Alvarez, he doesn't really have that much to really gain in his uh, career. But I can easily tell that his progression from the Bivol loss really didn't do anything, but just make him look a lot more like uh, like like Canelo's performance predating with a Bivol loss now shows that he has a lot more exposure to his game and. It's a lot easier to figure him out now because he's not as physically agile and he's not as quick to see punches coming coming towards him. So I think the biggest issue with Canelo was just that he really thought that he could use, you know, the sable tricks that he did when he was younger. But I think the issue was just that he's now showing the reason why he doesn't fight guys that are movers. And with Triple G, he did a pretty decent job with trying to paw out his jab against uh, Canelo. But the issue with this Triple G that fought Canelo that way was just that he was not able to solidify enough, you know, you know, work rate activity to actually beat Canelo. Because, you know, the difference, you know, between Gennady Golovkin and Dimitri Bivo is that Bivo, he's a heavy loaded, you know, aggressor when it comes to pressure. With Golovkin, he's just a fighter that loads up on a shot, waiting for you to mess up on or waiting for you to mess up on something, and then he makes you pay by throwing power shots in order to solidify, you know, the proper, you know, opportunity for him to like for him to either stop you. Or most likely beat you, you know, uh, like uh, beat you down to the point where you don't perform as like like you know you don't perform as good as you normally did. So, like obviously, what I got from this fight was just that Canelo, he really looked very sloppy in this fight. Um, I think what's going to end up uh, happening is just that 
you know, David Benavides, he's probably going to start exercising his mandatory position, you know, if the WBC moves forward with him being their mandatory to, to challenge for the WBC title. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, you know, David Morrell, he's probably going to be mandated by the WBA to beat up on Canelo. So, you know, I think, I think Canelo, he's going to start pulling off like a Josh Taylor where he's just going to start vacating belts, you know, bit by bit. And then I think eventually he's not going to have any belts anymore. And uh, I don't think, um, you know, Canelo, he's really doing himself any justice by just, you know, fighting, you know, fighting, you know, opposition that he doesn't want to end up facing. And uh, I think, you know, but the biggest takeaway from it is just that he's fine with not fighting the best while he claims himself to be pound for pound number one. And that's the biggest issue that I have towards, you know, Canelo. Uh, I never really respected Canelo's career, you know, ever since he started cheating, uh, you know, predating to the Triple G rematch. But either way, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see what his uh, progression is coming into the future. So... Yeah, that's about it, man. I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I'm definitely ready to see what Canelo is going to be doing at this point. And uh, I think um, 168 and 175 in the welterweight through lightweight, and I say, you know, you know, like in a, like you know, super welterweight to middle divisions will start to cook up a lot faster. And it's going to be very interesting to see how the welterweight division will look uh, after Arrow Spence and hopefully Terrence Crawford get their financial issue settled with getting the fight made. But I don't think undisputed it's going to happen with Arrow Spence and Crawford. But if it does happen, then good. But if not, then I think you know the welterweight division is going to be shaken up when Arrow Spence starts calling out you know all the big fish for him to be. You know, that guy. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Aerosmith will go coming into the future with his, you know, next opponent. Because he is saying, he, he did say that he's returning on November 19th, you know, with or with or without Terrence Crawford. So, uh, that's going to be very interesting to see where that future will lie. But yeah, man, that's pretty much it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, let me know what you guys think up inside the comment section. And that's about it, man. Salute to the mighty, mighty LDBC. And salute to the TWT. And I'm out. Bye.